Good morning. Uh, today's reading is taken from Luke chapter 17, which can be found on page 1051, beginning at verse 20. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there it is, or here it is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from the heavens and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day of the Son of the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Oh, I'm on. When your sound guy's doing the reading, you want to sprint back? down there we go right there are some passages you read aren't there where you just you just sit back and you think that makes that makes sense that makes total sense you're pretty convinced you know what you're you know what you're reading you know the ones i mean generally the familiar things the parables we've all sort of come to know jesus's birth death resurrection familiar stuff maybe something in genesis and I was reading today, I'm not going to lie, my immediate reaction when I saw the title this week was for the you know, coming of the kingdom, was wouldn't my summer be so much easier with just a parable? <laughs> but, um, but no. I, I find in my life sermon preparation is probably the, the best time I have for, for learning and focusing on God, um, coming closer to him for a few days. And it's good to be challenged. It's good to go beyond the, the comforts of ordinary um, and today, for me, it's, it's this passage. For you, it might be also. For some of you, it might even just be being here this morning. So I think wherever we're coming from, let's just sit here now. Let's see if we can work through these words together. So I'm just going to pray briefly. Lord God, through the written word and the spoken word, Lord, may we truly know 
your living word in our lives today, Lord. Amen. So the first question is, who does a weekly food shop? Hands up. A few of you, a few of you. Um, no judgment. Who does it in Sainsbury's? A few of you. I'm not going to name names. Waitrose? No one. A few Waitrose, a bit of Waitrose here and there. Special occasions, Christmas probably. Um, Tesco? Aldi? Lidl? A few for Lidl. Lidl's gaining, yep. Co-op? Asda? Co-op, strong. Asda? Asda? Morrison's. Yes, Morrison's. (laughs) Knew it. (laughs) Knew it would be Morrison's. So, um, in our household, I do do a weekly shop on a Saturday morning. Now, I do that around 9 a.m., and uh, I shop in Morrison's in Chippenham. Nice, big shop. It's a really good time of the morning because the best thing about Morrison's in Chippenham at, the, at that time at 9 a.m. is it's the start of their hour where they turn all the lights down. They turn all the lights down. They turn off the music in the store. They don't make any annoying announcements. Uh, they turn off the photo booth, the ride on cars. They turn down the beeps on the checkout. And they do all of this so that it's a really friendly hour for mainly those with autism or families with autistic children. They can come to the shop and all the stimuli that's normally around is just just reduced, just to a lower level. Now, I don't know about you, but I think we all need quieter moments in our lives. And I love going shopping at that time as well. Felicity, my daughter, who's three tomorrow, actually, um, she always comes with me because she has to. She's less keen because the, the ride on car that I let her sit on when I go through checkout isn't turned on. So she's kind of like, what the? <laughs> but um, it's fine. She, she'll get used to it. Hey, hey. So, um, but you can gather this time of the morning, this hour slot that Morrison's have, it's pretty unique in a supermarket. So as you can imagine, it's, pr- it's a pretty regular affair. We see the same people every single Saturday morning between 9 and 10. And this is, this is tenuously linked to the the sermon today, but I'm going to go there because I, I just think it's, I think they're interesting. So my favorite couple I'm going to tell you about, um, I don't know their names, but they are excellent. Let's call them Derek and Dawn. They are, they're in their 60s, I'd say. Derek is, um, he walks around the store with one of those, not the full-size trolleys, the, you know, the smaller trolley that you push. Uh, Dawn has a basket. And Derek is pretty quick, I'm not going to lie. Dawn is less so, but she has a bit of a turn of pace. Uh, she rides a mobility scooter with a basket. My favorite thing about these two is not that they're shopping together into their retirement years, I imagine. My favorite thing about these two is that they both wear a headset. So just like I'm wearing, apart from theirs, as headphones. And these two are working through Morrison's on a Saturday morning in the most well, what can I say? The most sort of military offensive I think Morrison has ever, has ever seen. Um, they work their way from sort of fresh produce through frozen. And as you sort of walk around the store, you sort of hear things. Derek, have you got the peppers? No, you're closer. You get them. I'll get the pita breads. Okay, get in the peppers now. One, two, three red peppers. Dawn, yes, special offer on Kit Kats. Two packs of three pound. I've never seen the cheaper. I'm going in. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not quite like that, to be fair, but they... Um, Bit of a side note. Do you reckon it'd be really good fun to take like a walkie-talkie and dial into their frequency? I think it would. I'm gonna one day. Maybe I'm feeling really, really annoying. 
And the reason I tell you about this too is because the first time I came across this couple, they were, they were separated. Not in a relationship, just not in the store. They were, just, they were different areas. And I was, I was with Felicity, and we were in sort of fresh produce. And then suddenly I hear this, the courgettes are especially good this week. <laughs> and I was, okay. So just me and Felicity in the dim lights of the Saturday morning, nine o'clock slot, and Dawn on her mobility scooter. I thought I was part of like some MI6 drop. It's just, it, she, if she handed me a briefcase, I'd be like, yeah, of course, the courgettes, and walked off. But this was, this was completely acceptable, her saying that, but this was not conventional, okay? And we have a pretty, we have a pretty established reality of how to shop in a supermarket. And never, ever before have I seen shopping like it. These two, this was so unique. This was so totally different to anything I'd ever seen. My expectations of supermarket reality were being questioned. And it's quite a big thing. I was confused. There was a mystery as well. Who was on the other end of the line? Who was she talking to? Who was, who was there? Where were they? Were they here? I don't know. Um, and sometimes we, we encounter situations in our lives, don't we? We sort of they're out of kilter with what we expect. They're out of kilter with what we, we think is going to come. And they upend our routines. They make us sort of reevaluate how things are supposed to function. And sometimes they go beyond comprehension, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Now, our reading today touched on uh, some similar themes, themes of, themes of expectation, themes of mystery, of understanding the seen and the unseen. But luckily for us, we have Jesus trying to explain it all to us now. So let's take a look. So the reading uh, is on page 1051, if you would like it open. And a, a bit of context. So, where are we? Jesus is somewhere between the border of Galilee and Samaria and Jericho, on his way to Jerusalem for Passover. And Luke, our writer, is recording events that happen whilst Jesus and his disciples are making this journey. Now, last week, I wasn't here, so correct me if I'm wrong. Tim spoke, I believe, last week, yeah, about Jesus approaching an unnamed village and coming across some lepers. Does that make sense? All good. <laughs> Great. Good. They called out to him for mercy. He granted it, and they were healed. Now, this morning, we find Jesus being, being questioned by some Pharisees about the coming kingdom of God. Now, the question they asked was, of course, completely based on their own understanding of prophecy and prompted by the fact that Jesus often spoke about the kingdom of heaven. So, in Matthew 3, 2, John the Baptist says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And a chapter or so on later, we read in Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And another chapter on, in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees, are, they're questioning Jesus. They want some clarity. It was their belief. It was their belief that the Messiah would set up this big physical kingdom, that they would restore the throne of David. And since Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, then it feels reasonable to ask him when he was actually going to fulfill the prophecies that he's talking about. Simply when, when is the kingdom of God actually going to come? And this is a really important question for us this morning because it's as relevant then as it is now. When, when will it come? Is it, 
Is it in the future or has the kingdom already arrived? But Jesus not only responds to their question, but he then expands on it to his disciples so that they would have an understanding of what was coming in the future. And in verse 20, we read, Jesus replied, the kingdom of heaven, uh, sorry, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's in your midst. I mean, it's not the most straightforward answer he could have given. Ultimately, the answer we hear from Jesus to the question, when will the kingdom of God come, is, well, it already has, but it also hasn't. The kingdom of God is both here, but it's also yet to come. And we're going to look at it in two ways this morning. How can the kingdom of God already be here, but also be yet to come? And sort of open up the mystery somewhat. And secondly, what does this, what does this mean for us? So, firstly, the kingdom of God is here. It has already arrived. The first couple of verses contain a clear statement from Jesus that the kingdom of God is already here. He starts off, doesn't he, by just correcting a couple of misunderstandings about what the coming of the kingdom means, speaking directly to the Pharisees. It is not something that can be observed, and nor will people say, here it is and there it is. The kingdom of God is not some clearly definable, unmistakable, physical thing that we can all observe. No. Rome will not be overturned. Israel will not be vindicated. There's a mystery about the kingdom, which you, which you Pharisees, you are unable to understand. And then he simplifies it. The kingdom of God is in your midst. It is here. And it is here because I am here. I am the arrival of the kingdom. And it's not like he hasn't already tried to be clear with them on this point. You know, to demonstrate the power of the kingdom, to demonstrate the kingdom being with him. A few chapters earlier in Luke eleven fourteen, Jesus is accused by the Pharisees of casting out demons from a mute man by the power of Beelzebub, rather the power of God. But Jesus explains this to the crowd very clearly, to what they were expecting. He says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And we read a house divided cannot stand, and Satan battling Satan, his kingdom won't stand. So Jesus does battle with Satan because of the Spirit of God. And as he frees people from their bondage, the power of the kingdom is at work. The kingdom is already here. Because I am here, the kingdom has arrived. Okay, that makes sense. I get that. Cool. However, there are passages in which Jesus points to a kingdom that is yet to arrive. So later on in Luke 19, 11 to 12, we read this. He says, he says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Now, Jerusalem was the power center of the land, and as they neared it, people started talking, thinking that Jesus was going to make his big move on the city and start beginning to set up his earthly kingdom. 
as we've mentioned, the common perception of the coming kingdom at the time was this great earthly power, this great force that will overturn Rome and vindicate Israel. But Jesus tells them a parable to make it clear that the kingdom is not coming yet. It will be a long time in the future. In verse 12 it reads, went to a distant country and then returned. Or what we read by this is Jesus is going, to, is going back to heaven and will be gone a while. It is a distant land, but he will return to establish his kingdom. He makes it pretty clear, therefore, doesn't he, that the coming kingdom is still way into the future. So, so this is where the mystery comes in. On the one hand, we have Jesus saying, I, I am here. God works through me. I am the kingdom. I might not be what you're expecting, but the kingdom of God is here. Yet on the other hand, he's saying, they're still a long way off. I have to go away and then I have to return. Long way off. This is, this is a bit confusing, right? This was my Tuesday night. And then, oh, okay. Let's figure this out. Make up your mind, Jesus. The Pharisees were confused. John the Baptist, perplexed. People wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. Pilate couldn't get his head around it when Jesus was on trial. And other people wanted to make him king. And between Good Friday and Easter, the apostles were hopeless. They weren't clear. It's like when your boss goes on a holiday for two weeks and you completely forget what time you're supposed to be in work. But underneath all the confusion, underneath all this confusion, is a very clear plan. And Jesus calls it the mystery or the secret of the kingdom. Which, when we boil it down, shows that the coming of the kingdom would happen in two stages. First with Jesus as a suffering servant who's taken away our sin. And secondly, with Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven in glory. And the somewhat mystery of the kingdom is that it has come partly, but not fully. The arrival of the kingdom has occurred in a, a small way in advance of, as it is called, the consummation. When all sickness and suffering and enemies would be defeated and all sin and power that Satan has over the world would be gone forever. As it is thought of by many, Jesus is the, the fulfillment of the kingdom, which is here, but the consummation of the kingdom is not. The final end is yet to come. So, so what does the, the fulfillment of the kingdom actually look like? What does it mean? In Matthew 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's explaining that the mysteries of the kingdom have been given to them. In verse 11, it says, To you it has been given to know the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And going on further in verse 16 and 17, it says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus being in their presence is the disciples witnessing the fulfillment of the kingdom. It has arrived, but there is a mystery to it because not everyone is able to see it, to recognize it, to understand it. It's not what the disciples or other people expected, that's for sure. But to get a better understanding of the kingdom, we can look at other passages in Matthew where we can start to pit, unpick some of the mysteries of the kingdom that Jesus explains through the parables. So we're going to briefly look at a few of them now. So, the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, verse 19, it says, 
when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, we then read four things happen. The message can be snatched by Satan. The heat of our troubled lives can scorch it. The thorns of riches and pleasures and lust can choke it. But lastly, it can bear fruit in good soil. There was an expectation that when the kingdom of God would come to earth, the world would recognize it and respond. The message would sweep over all lands. But this parable is telling us that 75% of the message, of the preaching, of the sharing of the gospel of the kingdom, isn't having an effect. It's being swallowed up by birds. It's being scorched on paths, and it's struggling through thorns. This, this was not expected to happen when the Messiah arrived. This is a mystery of the kingdom. The parable of the weeds starts with, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And then we read, an enemy plants weeds amongst the wheat, and the weeds and the wheat grow up together. And Jesus tells us this is a picture of the kingdom. Those planted by God living alongside those planted by the evil one until the harvest time or the day of judgment. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God, a kingdom which has existing for some time together in the world, those who are righteous and those who are not living alongside each other. This was not expected. As said already, the kingdom was supposed to come with this all-consuming, overturning power to destroy the wicked. But Jesus says, it has arrived, but the final separation waits for the second coming. It waits for the consummation. And he clarifies this in verse 41 when he says, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So the second mystery of the kingdom that followers of God living intertwined with those who are not. Sound familiar? Then we have another parable, the parable of the mustard seed, mustard seed, which Fran spoke about a month or so ago. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. The mystery here is that the kingdom would come like a mustard seed and not a dramatic military invasion. One day, it will be large and mighty, but it has come into the world without the fanfare and the transformation that most people expected. It came in a stable, in the humblest of circumstances, a tiny mustard seed. And lastly, the parable of the fishing net. In verse 47, it says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up onto the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The net draws those in, both good and bad. But it is only when the net is on shore at the end of the age will the good and the bad be separated. Some fish are not caught by the net. That's not the focus of the parable. The focus is on those who are caught. And we can think of this as our church, our home groups, our life groups. We are welcoming people into our buildings and our lives. But this parable tells us this is not enough. 
there will be some who are caught in the net who enjoy church purely for the music alone. And that will be thrown out in the end. So the mystery of the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom is that it starts out small with a mustard seed, limited effect on the world, with many hearing but not responding like scattered seed. The mystery also is that the people who do hear and are collected by the net, by the farmers in the field, they're a mixed mixed bunch. Some are true believers and some are not. So today we can see that the kingdom of God is both present and future. There has been fulfillment through Jesus, but not the consummation. This is the mystery of the kingdom. And there are two things to remember. Firstly, that it can be all too easy, I think, to ask God for incredible signs, for world-moving effects. But this sort of sweeping power feels like it's, it's yet to come. That is the kingdom of God in the future. The kingdom of God as it exists today, as we read from the parables, is limited in its scope. It is a mustard seed that is still growing. And we must ensure that we don't assume that everyone who gets swept into the net, everyone who walks through our door on a Sunday morning, is saved because we know, as Jesus tells us, some will be thrown out. And we need to ask ourselves, how do we, how do we continually build up kingdom effects within our own people, within our own community? How do we strengthen each other's faith so people aren't thrown out? How do we support each other to fight against the impact of evil in this world as we live alongside people? Plant new life groups, invest in our young people. Support our outreach efforts, our cafe, meet together, continually encourage ourselves here today and others who aren't here. Secondly, we can take great encouragement, can't we, that the kingdom, it has arrived. It has arrived through Jesus. The king has come. And he has dealt with sin, with his sacrifice for all upon the cross. And joy and peace has been given to the world. And we have the spirit inside of us to fight against evil, to spread the word of God, to witness to others. Often, the the fulfillment and the consummation of the kingdom are parallel to the Second World War, with the D-Day landings being the fulfillment and VE Day being the consummation. Now, I could use that analogy. We can go into that. But I like to bring things a little more up to date with uh, this guy, if we can get him on the screen. Is he on the screen? There he is, this guy. Anyone know who this is? Shane Lowry, yes. What do you play off? <laughs> yes. A couple of weeks ago, um, a couple of weeks ago, it was the Open Golf. This was a really big tournament. It was the first time in almost 70 years that the tournament had been held outside of England and Scotland. And this year, it was held in Northern Ireland. And there was excitement for whether Rory McIlroy, the Northern Irish golfer, could win it on home soil. But the weather was atrocious. One of the days was horrendous. It was the first major tournament, to put this all in perspective, the first major tournament that both Tiger Woods, everyone know who that is, and Phil Mickelson, two of the greatest golfers, they both missed the cut. So halfway through the tournament, you get rid of a load of players. They both didn't make it. And that's the first time in a major they've ever, that's ever happened. Weather was bad. Now, going into the final round, Lowry, this guy, he took a four-shot lead going into the final round over second place. Okay. 
Now, there's a bit of jostling around the 17 holes, coming to within a few shots. But if I remember rightly, he took a six-shot lead going into the final hole of the tournament. But what's, what's this Irish guy got to do with the second coming of Jesus? You may be thinking. Simply this. The tournament, the tournament was all but one. The tournament was all but one. No one was going to catch Shane Lowry unless something terrible were to happen. But he was able to walk down the 18th fairway, hands in the air. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Waving to the crowd, hat off, all this other stuff. But he couldn't celebrate completely. He still had more work to do. The kingdom, Jesus has won. But there is still more to play for. There's still more to play for. Satan has a grip on the world, on its people. 75% of the seed are not growing. The mustard seed kingdom is still maturing, and the day of judgment is yet to come. And Jesus tells us, the coming of the kingdom is not something that could be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in our midst. Amen.